0: Pastor David Kim asked me if I can teach this morning. I'll try to do that. My quick answer was yes. Thinking it would have been in Spanish. <laughs> no, Andres. English. Okay. Secondly, uh, I say yes. And uh, this is our finals in seminary. I didn't thought about that either. My wife asked me, Andres, you're crazy. <laughs> this is final for you, so we ask you to please uh, pray for us, please uh, pray for all the seminary students and expositors, we're having uh, finals week this week, Brother Mark, hang on there, <laughs> he's having a great, two big tests. So um, pray for us, this is the final of the, of the semester and the year, so the Lord give us strength and Wisdom to finish and carry on the task that he is giving us as future ministers of Christ. Open your Bibles in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 we'll be covering today. Verses 14 to 22. Verses 14 to 22. I was asked to preach this sermon a few weeks ago in seminary. It was ready, and so um, we're going to bring it today. Beautiful text, kind of strong, but it's in the Word of God. We have to preach it. We have to teach it. Extreme temperatures are good. I love coffee in the morning. Being from Puerto Rico, we love strong coffee, black coffee. I couldn't find it here in Georgia. So um, we get some Cuban coffee from Florida. Strong, strong coffee. When I drink that coffee in the morning, it has to be hot, super hot. can be cold. All well, no, the temperatures have to be very, very hot. Now, if the coffee is not hot, it doesn't have any purpose for me. It is not useful for me. You can give me the best coffee in the world, and if it's cold, it doesn't have any purpose. Useless for me. Now, Let's imagine it's a very hot day in the summer here in Georgia. I love it. June, July, and August, you're working in the yard. It's like 100 degrees outside, 400% of humidity. <laughs> you're exhausted, working hard. I love, I love that temperature. And at the end, you, you just want a glass of icy cold water to refresh your soul. I remember many years ago when I was... Many years ago, when I was a tennis player in Puerto Rico, I played many tournaments. And this guy put us to play at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Temperature was, was like 98 degrees, 300% of humidity. And you have to play for two or three hours in, in that in those kind of condition. I was crazy. At the end of the match, you just want to drink like 20 freezing Gatorade's because it's so hot. In each scenario, the string temperature has a specific purpose. You want your coffee hot, not cold or lukewarm. And you want your Gatorade very cold, no, no, uh, very cold, because these extreme temperatures are good and they have a specific purpose for our lives. Here in Revelation 3, we have a church with extreme temperature problems. We're going to cover that today in chapter 3. We're going to read. Let's read the text. Chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. Please follow along as I read. And to the anger of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation i know your works you are neither cold nor hot would well, that you were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and you neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth for you say i'm rich i have prospered and i need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and self to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those who I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquer I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beautiful text. Strong text. But it's beautiful. We're going to study this text in this morning. Here we have the Apostle John in the last days of his ministry. The disciple... Whom Jesus loved. He's in the exile in the island of Patmos for the cause of the gospel. The year was approximately 94, 96 AD. It is the last one. And John received a series of visions from the Lord himself. And the Lord commanded John to write these visions and proclaim them to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So, John wrote these letters. If you go to chapter 1, verse 11, right there, the Lord commissioned John and said to him, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamon, and to Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These were seven historical churches in Asia Minor, where the apostle used to minister. He was very involved in the ministry there, evangelizing, teaching, preaching, very engaged in those ministry during that time. And each one of these churches have their unique characteristics. Two were faithful churches, Smyrna, Philadelphia. And five, they were unfaithful. Each one of these with their unique problems. Ephesus was the careless church that abandoned his first love. Pergamum was the compromising church that allowed false doctrine into the church. Thyatira was the corrupted church which tolerated sin in the church. And Sardis was a weak, weak church that was almost like dead. In our passage today, we're going to study the church of Laodicea. Here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and 22, the Lord Jesus Christ exhorts the church of Laodicea to come to repentance in six ways to come to repentance in six ways. Let's see the first one. The first way that the Lord Jesus Christ uses to exhort the church is by revealing His identity. By revealing His identity. Look, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God creation. This is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The head of the church, the groom of the bride, the absolute authority of the church speaking. In verse 14, the Lord starts with a command to write this message to a specific group, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, "Who is this angel?" That's a good question to ask. Who is this angel? To understand, we have to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Where John received the vision. Verse 20, chapter 1. And for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of seven churches, and the seven lampstands are in the seven churches. Going back to chapter 3, verse 14, a better translation for this word angel is messenger. Angelos in the Greek could could mean angel, could mean messenger, but a good translation here in this text would be messenger, and it's referring to to human messengers, probably the church leaders, the elders, the pastor of this church, of the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a commercial city. It was a very wealthy city back in the first century in Asia Minor, located 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia and some 45 miles east of Ephesus on the river of Lycus near Colossae in Asia Minor. The Apostle Paul knew about this church when he wrote to the Colossians at the end of the letter, He mentioned, please, read this letter to the church of Laodicea in Colossians 4, verse 16. And notice how the Lord, Jesus Christ, presented Himself in this letter over here. Second part of verse 14. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He introduced Himself with three titles. The first title, The amen is a title for God in the Old Testament. We can find it in Isaiah 65, 16. The God of truth. This is amazing, brothers and sisters. What are the Lord's doing over here? He's revealing his deity. Christ, the Lord, God. In the Hebrew language, amen, amen means surely, verity, and that it implies certainty. And the Lord Himself is revealing His true identity. He's the truth. He speaks the truth. And He's about to reveal this truth to this uncertain, weak, and foolish church. Notice the second title. That the Lord uses to identify Himself is a faithful and true witness. He's not only the truth, He's not only speak the truth, He is also a trustworthy and genuine witness. Christ is the perfect example of obedience and suffering, and He is the perfect witness to His Father. This is the same idea that Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we order our amen to God for His glory. All the promises in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are possible with Christ and it fill his fulfillment only through him. He is the uh, Amen. He is the God of truth. The third title that Christ used to identify Himself is the beginning of God's creation. Here, the beginning does not mean the first creature, as many sectarians in the third or fourth century, the Arians believe, today is the false Jehovah's Witness not talking about that, but rather the first cause, the original source of creation. 30 years earlier, Paul Wright wrote about, to the Colossians about this problem, a church who was very close geographically from the Laodicea. And he talked about this issue. Remember, in Colossae, there were false teachers infiltrating the church probably the early form of the Gnostics. And Paul talked about this in Colossians 1.18 when he said, And he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, archaic, the beginning, the same word, the firstborn from the dead. That is, in everything he might be preeminent. Similar terminology in verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Lord is introducing Himself in the opening of this letter as the eternal creator, God. That's the way He's introducing Himself. And beloved, this is the way we have to present our Lord Jesus Christ when when we are witnessing. When we're sharing the gospel as the amen, as the God of truth, as the eternal creator. He is the super authority in church and he is the head of the church. Notice the second way that the Lord uses to exhort the church is by expose, exposing their problems. By exposing their problems. What was the problem of this church? Very good. It was a lukewarm church. What, that, what does it mean? Let's, let's read verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Will that you wear either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. This church has a serious problem. Very serious. And the Lord points straight to this problem. He don't sugarcoat it like 21st century pastors about this problem. He goes straight to the problem. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Of course, Christ knew their works. He is God. He's the omniscient Lord. Nobody can hide nothing from this God. And notice here that the object of his knowledge are their works, their deeds. Deeds always reveals people to a spiritual state. We all know that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone. And not by works. But works are evidence of your salvation. In James' terminology, James chapter 2, verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. True Christians are fruitful, and they are always manifesting the good works. The, but here, the Lord knew the weakness of this church. How bad was it? Christ rebuked this church so harshly, as we can see in verse 15. This is Jesus Christ speaking here. This is the Lord Himself. This is strong language. And the Lord's being tougher with this church than any of the other ones this church didn't have any extreme temperature to be identified with that was serious and let me tell you something this church was familiar with extreme temperatures they, they knew what he was talking about why? why? Seven miles of north of Laodicea, there was a city called Hierapolis. The city was famous for their hot spring waters that had medicinal effect. Many people from around the region traveled many miles to Hierapolis to these hot spring waters. They have many con- different conditions, and they come to this waters to get healed. So they were familiar with those waters. Another city close to Laodicea in the south, it was Colossae. We know the city of Colossae. And that city was famous for their cold stream waters. Very pure, drinkable. That good water provided great refreshment. The hot waters of Hierapolis had their use for medical purposes. These hot waters were useful and effective as long as they were what? Hot. The cold water of Colossae, Colossae had their use for refreshment purposes. These cold waters were useful and effective as long as they were cold. Listen to what this commentator said regarding about these waters in Laodicea. Because it traveled several miles through the underground aqueduct before reaching the city of Laodicea, the water arrived foul, dirty, and tepid. It was not hot enough to to relax and restore, like the hot spring of Hierapolis, nor was it cold and refreshing, like the stream water of Colossae. Laodicea looks when water was useless, As the church itself, and this is the point what the Lord wants to bring here to the Church of Laodicea. You are useless. You are ineffective. You are so weak that I will spit out out of my mouth. You are not faithful to the truth. You are not proclaiming the truth. You're not witnessing. You're not sharing the gospel. You're not making disciples. You're not going to the end of the world. What is the point of your ministry? This is is the Lord himself talking to this church. I will vomit you out from my mouth, says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as a church member... I ask this question and reflect on myself about these kind of questions. I am witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ every day in my life. I'm sharing the gospel in whatever area the Lord put me. I'm being faithful to that. I'm proclaiming the truth to the lost. I am being Useful and effective for the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. The church of Laodicea was anemic, was sick. And the church of the 21st century is in a very similar to this church. Most of today churches are anemic. Most of them they don't have expository preaching have shallow worship, superficial and worldly music, and they're not witnessing for Christ. Most of these churches are useless and ineffective for Christ and for the advancement of the kingdom. I thank God every day for bringing us to Faith Community Church three years ago. The Lord brought us over here. Faith Community Church is a church that is committed with truth. I thank God every day for Pastor Shane, Pastor David, Pastor Randy, Pastor Joe, and all the elders and the teachers of the church because they're committed with the truth. We have to look at church like this, that is committed with the truth. We're in this camp, but this is, it's not like this outside. We want to look for churches that proclaim the Word of God. And these faithful men, they proclaim the Word of God and they shepherd the flock of God in the way the Bible teaches. I am encouraged with many of you here in this room, you're witnessing for Christ. You're in the streets, witnessing for Christ. You're in the jails, witnessing for Christ. You're engaged in biblical counseling. That encouraged me to keep on keeping on. Notice that the church of Laodicea was not only lukewarm, but it was also Self-deceive. Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. nor realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. They had already self-evaluated. Uh, they concluded that they were in good condition. Right in there in the text. Aye, aye, aye. The city of Laodicea, it was a wealthy city, a rich city, like I mentioned before. In this church, they have everything inside except one thing Christ. <coughs> except Christ. They were not only indifferent to Christ, but they were completely ignorant of the real condition. In their own eyes, they were the perfect church. The city of Laodicea, like I mentioned before, very rich city, wealthy city. One of the most famous medical schools in the region was located in that area. It was a big city with trade, commerce, manufacturing. Banks, it was the main banking area in the first century. They had so much wealth, these people, that after an earthquake in the year 60 AD, destroyed a lot of these, series, these cities over there, the Roman Empire didn't send any money to the city. Why? Because they were so rich. You don't need that money. These church members were rich, wealthy, and they were assessing their spiritual health according to their material assets. What a mistake. Verse 17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. These church members were boasting in their own resources. The perfect tense in this verb pluteo here is, I have prospered or I have become wealthy. In the Greek, carries the force of, I got rich on my own. In other words, they were saying, my wealth is due to my own effort to my own hard work, to my own self-sufficiency. And for that reason, they felt they did not need anything. They never acknowledged the providence of God. They didn't acknowledge the common grace of God. No, they didn't by themselves. They felt everything was achieved by their own efforts. Wow, what kind of Christians are these, right? Who needs a God in these conditions? We're rich. What a contrast with the church of Smyrna. If you turn to chapter 2, verse 9, you see a contrast between this church and Smyrna. Look at what it says. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. The church of Smyrna was physically poor, but spiritually rich. And the church of Laodicea was physically rich, but spiritually poor. What a contrast. However, they thought they were spiritually rich. But the Lord gave them their true diagnosis. The Lord knew their hypocrisy. And how the Lord responded to this church? End of verse 17. You are not spiritually rich. Rather, you are wretches, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is like when a patient goes to the doctor. Hey, doctor, I feel kind of weird. I lost 30 pounds in two weeks. I'm sweating. I have fever. I'm, I have trouble sleeping. But I'm doing okay, doctor. And the doctor comes to the patient and says, Come here. Let me tell you what I found. In your MRI. You see this circle of mass here in your brain? That's a malignant tumor. And the news is, you have five of those. This is what the Lord is saying here. It's revealing your problem to the church. The Lord gave them a catalog of five conditions. The first one, you're wretched. You that are boasting that you're rich, you got it all wrong. You are the wretched one. Your condition is very poor. You're miserable. The second one is is pitiable. Your situation is sad. The third one, you are poor. You are in spiritual bankruptcy. And the last one and the fourth one. You're blind. You're spiritually blind. You have eyes, but you don't see. And the fifth one is you are naked. All the fancy clothes that you wear in this rich city are meaningless. Actually, you're spiritually naked. You haven't dressed yourself up. With the garments of salvation. You haven't now covered yourself. With a robe of righteousness. They forgot. To put on. The Lord. Jesus Christ. It is amazing to see how the great physician. Comes with the right diagnosis. For this sick church. This church was useless. Ineffective and self deceive. What a tragedy. Beloved, never measured the success in ministry by the size of the buildings, by the size of the congregations, by the numbers, by their programs, by their great websites, by the youth ministry program, by the small group. Or by any other big things they may have. And don't get me wrong, all those things are good. And may the Lord bless those ministry. but what's the point to have all of this? And Christ is not there. What is the point? Beloved measure the success of ministry. For your faithfulness to Christ and to the proclamation of His truth. Be a faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. A third way that the Lord uses to exhort the church is by offering His advice. By offering His advice. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see here we have the wonderful counselor giving advice since the Lord himself identified the problem Verses 15 and 17, right? Now he will provide a solution to your problem. Notice the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace. He could destroy this church right away if he wants to. He's gone. Right? But instead, he offered them salvation. You can see also his compassion and his mercy to these needy people. And for that, the Lord advised this church to buy three things from him three items that represent true salvation refined gold, white garments and I of self. What is the first one? I counsel to buy you from me gold refined by fire. What the Lord's, what the Lord's mean by gold refined by fire? Gold refined by fire is pure gold. And in scripture, it is a picture of purification of someone by removing of their sins. Job 23, verse 10. Don't look over it. i read it for you. But he knows the way I take when he has tried me I shall come as gold. Proverbs 27, verse 21, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. This metaphor is also used for the purifying effects of the, of the God's tribulation people. In, P, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter speaking to the church in persecution, he said, in this you rejoice through, through now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perished through it, too, it has tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is inviting this church for true salvation, These people in Laodicea, they were rich, right? But they were not rich enough to buy this type of gold. This true true gold is only acquired by grace alone. Through faith alone. Through Christ alone. So that you may be rich and true riches are fine in Christ alone the second thing that the Lord wants them to buy is white garments second part of this verse 18 and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen shame and nakedness are frequently equated in scripture uncovering the shame of nakedness is a language used by God when accused Israel Israel and other nations for particip- participation of idolatry in Ezekiel 16.36 in the context of God's judgment over Israel for their unfaithfulness he said thus say the Lord because you lost, your, your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all you abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them In contrast to this, the Lord is inviting them to true salvation in Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. Speaking to the church of Sardis. Verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angel. White garments symbolize the righteous deeds that always mark a true believer in the Bible. These are the redeemed wars, the true Christians, the regenerated. In Revelation 16 verse 15, in the context of the great tribulation, the Lord said, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. These are the garments of the believer. The third thing the Lord wants them to buy is I solve third part of verse eighteen and soft to anoint your eyes so you may see colorium. That's the Greek word for that word over there. Mean it was a medicine for the eyes. It was a paste for the people to put in their eyes. People who have eyes condition. They needed that. Remember at the end of verse seventeen. These church members were what? Blind. They were spiritually blind. They had eyes but couldn't see. So, these church members were spiritually poor, spiritually naked, and spiritually blind. And the Lord offered them true riches. Righteous clothing and perfect vision. The Lord offered them true salvation in Him. Notice that the Lord is advising them to buy these things because, as rich people, wealthy people, traders, banking, this is a language that this church member can understand. You can buy, you can sell, trade. They were wealthy. And they could have purchased these things. Like I said before, but they had a huge problem. They were rich, but not rich enough to buy their salvation. So how they purchased these items? This leads us to our next point, point number four. The fourth way that the Lord uses to exhort, exhort the church is by the explicit commands. Is by the explicit commands. It's by the explicit commands. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. There's only one way in the kingdom of God to purchase these items. And that is through the currency of repentance and faith in Christ Jesus alone. No matter how rich, wealthy you are, there's nothing you can offer for your salvation. Only we can bring our sins to the cross. It is true that God has special love for the elect, for the believers. But it's also true that God also loves the unredeemed. Remember Second Peter 3, 9? God is not wishing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. He's merciful. And notice the compassion of our Lord in this verse. Those who I love, I reproof and discipline. He's referring to the church member, by men's standards, that are not believers here in this text. Since they are desperately need salvation, verse 18, we already saw that, right? They need salvation. And they are without Christ, verse 20. And to those he love, he discipline with punishment. Therefore, in light of that, therefore, be zealous and Repent. And here the Lord gives a set of explicit commands. The first one is to be zealous, to be earnest, to be sincere. It is someone who is to be intensely serious about something. Be serious. The Lord is saying here hey, church, be serious about your faith, be serious. About your profession of faith. Be serious about your problem. Be serious about your sins. And repent. Repent. It is a second command here. To change your mind. To feel remorse of their sins. To turn to God from the idols and to serve the living and true God. To be like the tax collector. God. Be merciful. To me. A sinner. (laughs) To be like the prodigal son. When he came to his senses and said. Father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy. To be called your son. Treat me. As one of your higher. Servants. This was Christ's message in his early ministry, from the beginning to the end. We're calling, studying the the gospel of Mark in the Hispanic Bible study that we have every Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Beautiful gospel. And, And that was the first sermon of the Lord. And the last one. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, brothers and sisters. That was Christ's message, and that should be our truth. We must proclaim the truth and call for repentance. With true love and compassion, we must proclaim the excellencies. Of this glorious gospel and call for repentance. And there are rewards. For those. Who repent and believe. And that leads us to our fifth point. The fifth way. That the Lord uses to exhort the church. Is by setting before them the promise. By setting before them the promise. Verse 20, 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and with with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. With repentance and faith comes blessings to this life now and in in the next one to come. Beloved, I have a question for you. Where is Christ in the church of Laodicea, according to the text? Outside. 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 Christ is completely outside of this church. I want you to meditate for that for a second. The head of the church is outside. The bridegroom is at the door. But the bride had locked the door. Notice that the Lord doesn't leave the scene. Despite of the rejection, He's still at the door. Compassionate, loving, passionate. He's still waiting at the door. This is a grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never miss that on the text. That's the grace of God. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and not. This behold focuses special attention on the promise of future blessings. And there's great blessings indeed. In Song of Solomon, we don't have time to expand that. But verse five uh, chapter five verse two psalm of solomon five two there 's a similar picture of the bridegroom calling her bride at the door. The text said, "My beloved is knocking open to me, my sister, my love in revelation three twenty we have a similar situation where the bridegroom is at the door calling his bride. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And with me. There's a condition here. There's a condition. If anyone listens and opens the door, then Christ will enter. Christ can open the door if he wants. He's God, right? But he does not force anyone. Someone voluntarily has to open it. The Lord will not force his presence where and when it is not desired. Only one can open that door in that church. Only one person can go and open that door. Notice this glorious promise from our Lord. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who has this invitation will have fellowship with Christ. Back in the Greco-Roman culture, having dinner, a banquet was a big thing. Social gatherings gather with, uh, uh, with very important people for these dinners. It was a big occasion for friends and fellowship. The Lord is inviting this church to a real fellowship with Him. And this is a great promise to all believers. This verb eat means to dine and refers always to the last meal of the day. evening meal. It is the same verb that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25 referring to the Lord's supper in the same way he took the cup also after supper. This dinner is the heavenly banquet of the last time where all Christians will dine with Christ. We're seeing in Revelation 19.19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb not only in the marriage or supper of the Lamb, we also see it in the Millennial Kingdom. If they open the door, they not only will be able to dine with the King, but also to reign with the King. Verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. And this promise is only for believers. It's only for Christians. The one who conquers. The one who overcomes. <laughs> that word in the Greek is nikao. Is, uh, that, that's where we get the word nike from the spola per Overcome. Those are the Christians, true Christians. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And this is a figurative expression, meaning that all believers will reign with Christ. What a glorious promise. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The Lord Jesus Christ conquered sin. He lived a perfect life. He conquered the devil. He conquered death. He rose from the death. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days. He ascended into the heavens. And is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me right now. This is what the text says over here. <laughs> Hallelujah, what a savior we have in Jesus Christ. What a promise. It's mind blowing. So, the Lord Jesus Christ exhorted the church to come to repentance by, one, revealing his identity, by exposing their problem, by offering his advice, by explicit commands, by setting before them the promise. And lastly, the sixth way that the Lord uses to exhort the church is by calling to obedience. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This letter ends like the other six with a mandate to listen. This is not a suggestion. This is a mandate from the Lord. Imperative. Not everyone will listen to the good shepherd, but his sheep will listen and will obey. I love John, 20, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Beloved, the problems in these seven churches are the same problems present in the churches today in the 21st century. The church of the 21st century is in coma. Most of the churches today have lost their first love. Many churches today are afraid to suffer. Many churches today are dead. Many churches are not holding fast, and many churches today are lukewarm. Multi-million dollar facilities, great buildings, many programs, dynamic youth ministry, top-of-the-line music bands, the latest technology in sound and lights, eloquent communicators, the finest website, fancy pulpit, big bank account. <clears throat> today the church is like the church of Laodicea. They have everything except one crucial, one vital thing. What, what is missing? Who is missing? Jesus cried, our Lord. Beloved, let's be faithful. And a true witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim the truth without compromising. Be like the Apostle Paul. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Church, be passionate for Christ. Know Christ. Be like Christ. Live for Christ. Be pleasing to Christ. Preach Christ. Be useful for Christ. Be effective for Christ. And let's Wait upon His promises. And let's hold fast to the time when we will dine with Him. And we will reign with Him in all eternity. In communion with Him and with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray.